So Money Episode 792, Susie Orman. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You have to put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you can take care of everybody else. And you know you what? You got that line from me, girlfriend. <laughs> I think I got it from you, American Airlines. Like, I, I, that's how I got that. <laughs> Susie Orman is here, everybody. Keeping me on my toes, as you just heard. This interview is probably one of my favorites for a lot of reasons. It was my first time meeting the Susie. So I wore one of my best jackets as a show of solidarity. Um, it was also fascinating to hear her views on women and money today. You may have thought Susie was enjoying retirement. Well, she's left at least temporarily to come out since the Me Too movement. She's been inspired to relaunch a new and improved edition of her best-selling book, Women and Money. This is going to be a little bit of a different format than typical episodes on the podcast. You will hear from me as well as Adam Oriema, the editor-in-chief of Money Magazine, who invited us, Susie and I, to join a panel with him to talk about women and money. Here's the audio from that interview. And for the full coverage, head over to money.com. Here we go. Here is Susie Orman. Hey, I'm Adam. I'm the editor of Money, and I'm here with two financial experts. We have Susie Orman, the author of, I think, nine uh, New York Times bestsellers, two-time Emmy Award winner, and author most recently of Women and Money, which Ooh. has been revised and updated uh, since it was first published about 10 years ago. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. And here is Farnoosh Tarabi, uh, another financial expert, of course, and the author of When She Makes More, which is all about women who make more than their partners in romantic mm -hmm. relationships. Um, and a columnist at O, and um, a regular on the Today Show, and all sorts of places. So welcome. Thank you. Um, so, Susie, we'll start with you. You wrote Women and Money about 10 years ago. Um, in the time since then, you've left your show, you've somewhat retired to the Bahamas. Why come back now and write this book again? So here's the thing. It started with the Me Too movement. And... You have to ask yourself the question, why do women allow themselves to be violated? Why? And in my opinion, it's because they need the job, they need the promotion, they need the part. Why? Because they need the money. Why do they need the money? To feed their family. And women will do anything. And I saw it in 2007, 2008. They will do anything anything to take care of their family, especially their kids. So I started to realize the role that money plays in the Me Too movement and everything. And while it is fabulous that women now are finding their voice and they're finally saying what's happened to them, and there isn't one of us, I'm positive that it hasn't happened to, really, especially in, you know, at my age, it's happened many times, but I had the power to say no. And I had the power to say no because I didn't care. And so it's not until women have power over their money. It's not so much even that they have money. 
but they have to have power over the money they have. Because even really wealthy women who have money get violated. And why is that? And it's because they have a manager and they have a this and they have a that, and they're still not taking their power with money. So the subtitle of the book is to be strong, smart, and secure. And it's my way of trying to say, come on, ladies. This is the time that you now have a voice. Let's have a financial voice. That's why I did it. So you're saying in this year when women are finally speaking up about all sorts of things, isn't it time to start speaking up about money? No, I'm not saying that. It's not about speaking up about money. And I'm not so worried about the women who have already been in compromising situations because they now have an outlet and they can speak up. And chances are they're never going to do it again. I'm worried about the women who haven't yet been approached that don't have any money or they don't have power over the money they have. And now they find themselves in a situation. I want them to be able to have a voice that says no. And they can say no because they have power over the money that they have. Did that make more sense to you? It does make more sense. Yeah. And so you feel like... He's a man. What do we... Oh, (laughs) that's a low hit. But you know what I mean by that, you know, Adam, it's... This is a serious, serious situation that we have on going on here. When you have major CEOs and personalities and newscasters and everybody now coming out, and I'm not so sure that enough people are scared enough about this movement yet where this is going to stop unless women speak up for themselves. They speak up for other women and stand up for other women. And money has a role that plays in this big time, in my opinion. Sure. So, okay. So how do they do that? What, 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 what are you telling them in this book? This book, you know, this book has millions of them already out there. Mm -hmm. And I have a saying in this book, and I'm known for this saying, self-worth equals net worth. If you can't value who you are, you're never going to value what you do with the money that you make. You're just going to waste it in all these things. It's going to come in and it's going to go out. So this book really talks about not putting yourself on sale, saying no out of love for yourself versus yes out of fear what somebody else is going to think about you. It talks about money and relationships and how that all plays. And it gives you a financial empowerment plan where it literally takes your hand and where I'm saying to you, do this, do that, do that, do this, do all of these things. And it gives them the resources. If they need a will, if they need a trust, go here. This is how you're going to do it. Do Take this course, do these things, have a debt eliminator, have an expense tracker, all for that, you know, those things. Mm-hmm. You need those things. So this book is a personal educational system again. For women who want to be strong, smart, and secure, there's eight qualities of a wealthy woman in there. You have to know who you are to be as powerful as you're meant to be. We will get to those eight qualities of a wealthy woman. I would like to hear them. Uh, but I do want to ask, Farnoosh, are you seeing the same thing? Are you, are you, yeah. are you seeing the same sort of fear? I wanted that to Susie's say thank you about? for making the correlation between Me Too and money. I don't think that is being talked about enough. I think that that was also the first thing that jumped out at me. You know, why are these women um, continually, why are we all continually finding ourselves in these kinds of situations? And it, there's a lot of factors, but one that was sort of overlooked was financial security 
security. Because when you have financial security and you have savings and you have confidence in your financial plan, then that gives you the license to say no or to walk away, to get out of bad situations. But I think um, it's also opening up the conversation now about truly when women make more, when women have financial independence, the world becomes a better place. This is not just a win for women. This is a win for everybody. And like any other quote unquote issue that we can't for some reason get everybody behind, it's about making it a global um, issue, like the same with like gay rights, right? It's not about gay people. It's about families. It's about human rights, right? And like, who doesn't want to get behind that? Right. And so for women's issues, when it comes to money, my whole platform is about educating the women, but also showing the benefits when women are financially secure. Uh, it's for the ladies, but it's also for their families to be secure. It's also for the ability for the, fa- for the women to be able to stay in the workforce while they have children so they can continue to have their financial independence. Companies win. They can continue to be in political landscapes. You know, there's just so much benefit when women have the money. And right now, not enough women have the money. They're not making enough of the money. They have to ask for it. They have, we have to also create programs and training so that people give them the money that they deserve. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a long road. But I think that the Me Too movement was the catalyst that we needed globally to start talking about this as not just a woman's issue, but it's really everyone's concern. I figured let's start with some positives. So your book is about situations, in- increasingly common situations where women earn more than their partners. Right. So in what ways are women better at money, better at managing money than men? Well, There's been a lot of study done about women and investing, and over the long run, women tend to outperform men in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And I think when they look closely at why, it's because women, uh, we are very thorough in our research. We don't do things for the thrill of it. Like We're not investing because it's exciting. We're investing because we have goals and we want to meet them. And so as a result, we're not in our portfolios making all sorts of moves all the time. Uh, what they found was those patterns were more consistent with men than women. So I think you know sometimes women get downplayed like, oh, we're risk averse, we're not aggressive. But actually that works well for us when it comes to investing. And I think studies like that are great reminders as to why women should be more active in the stock market. So that's one thing. Um, and Susie mentioned earlier, like we will do anything for our families. Yeah. And that is why today we're seeing such a growth in women making more than their partners um, during the recession, the man session, right? Um, a lot of stay-at-home moms or moms who are making less uh, who saw their husbands lose their jobs because he was working in finance or construction or real estate, which were hard hit and traditionally male dominant industries, they're like, okay, well, we're not going to, we could wait till you find your next job, but we have you know, a mortgage to pay for, we have kids to feed. So she then would go out and work and bring home the big paycheck. And that, to some extent, didn't change for a lot of families. You know, the women um, who emerged during the recession, who took on those big, important jobs, um, are still doing them. But also we're seeing women go to college in higher numbers, graduate school in higher numbers. That's paying off in the job market as well. We're very much interested in educating ourselves. So that's a big plus, too. Yeah, those are all really great positive things. Um, I wonder, so Susie, you said recently, so this is partly about confidence, right? Because 
you said、um, women fake orgasms and men、mm. fake finances.、Mm. Okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> tell us all about that. <laughs> yeah, figures. Why are, yeah, yeah, yeah. why are men faking finances? I'll tell you why men fake finances.、Yeah. It's for eighteen years, twenty years, whatever it was. I sat behind the desk, and I literally invested people's money for them. And the women would come in, and they would ask questions. They didn't have a problem saying, "I don't know." Tell me that again. I don't understand that. Men don't even ask for directions. They don't have to even now ask for directions because we have GPS. But in the olden days, they never. They wouldn't say they didn't know. So I started to do this experiment where men would come in, and their wife would go to the bathroom. Because it would be a long session, and while the man was sitting there by himself, I would give him the most complicated strategy you could ever think of. We were going to do these spreads and these straddles, and we were going to do this again, <laughs> and this whole thing. And I would say to him, "You understand what I'm talking about here, because we're going to make your income from this strategy." He goes, "That sounds brilliant,"、mm-hmm. and I was talking nonsense to him. <laughs>、right? And his wife would come back; she would sit down, and I would say, "All right, now." Tell her everything I just told you we were going to do, and he would say, <laughs> "Where did the men get their advice from?" Because I did a lot of consulting with Gulfstream and these major corporations that had thousands of employees, mainly men, in the factories. And Joe would tell Jim, Jim would tell John, John would tell Larry, and that's how they got their advice. Because when it came to, well, how are you choosing what you should be investing in in your retirement plans? Well, Joe told us, and then I would interview Joe, and Joe wouldn't know what he was talking about.、Mm-hmm. That's how Bernie Madoffs happens.、Mm-hmm. That's how scams happen. So men, in my opinion. Don't like to face their mortality. They don't want to do a will. They don't want to do a trust. They're usually the ones that are saying no to their wives. That are saying, "But honey, we have to do this if something happens to you." And they're like, "Not right now, sweetheart." And they're also the ones that just they don't want to say, "I don't know." Now, partly, women created that, believe it or not, at least years ago, because women put this pressure on these men's shoulders. You take care of me financially. I'll pay the bills, but you invest the money. You do this, and he had—he loved her so much and his family so much that he was like, okay. And he had no place that he could turn. And so it's so—it's so important, in my opinion, that financial education reaches both women and men. That you bring them together as a unit,、mm-hmm. as a unit. But women have to want to get involved. And the men don't even know how to pay bills, so it, they both need changing. So that's what I mean when I say they fake finances. That they they say they know what they're doing, and when you have a one-on-one with them, they actually don't.、Mm. I mean, that's interesting. There's also these studies that say that women tend to hold more of their assets in cash. So men are out there faking their finances and just doing it, even though they might not fully understand it. They're whereas, faking until they make it. <laughs> yeah, they're whereas, faking it until or, they make、no. it. Whereas women, I think, according to some research, are just sort of waiting on the sidelines and they're missing out. So how do we like? How, how do you talk about getting that back into balance? Well, I don't think either practice is 
there are flaws in both of those, right. in yeah. those ways. Um, I think the middle road is get an index fund, right? right? Low fee, ride it out, um, believe in the market, don't make knee-jerk reactions, don't be in there day trading and, you know, Bitcoin, forget it. You know, it's just right. about the, the plain vanilla boring path, which I think everybody can get behind. I mean, because it's really what it tells me is it's simple, Mm-hmm. It works historically been proven to work. And um, as long as you believe in uh, I believe in the American dream and the American dream fuels the stock market uh, to an extent. And of course, we have lots of different uh, good days and bad days. But I think that if you can get behind that, you I, I believe in indexing. I believe in just the middle road. And that's kind of the happy medium. Right. Right. So it's just about giving women the tools so they can get there. Right? Here's what I found works so great. Women love when things are on sale. They do. They, they wait. They'll buy it cheaper. They love that. Whenever I tell a woman, you should be wishing and praying and hoping that the stock market goes down. You have 30, 40, 50 years until you need this money. So you want to start investing and you want to see the stock market go down. And you explain dollar cost averaging to them and why buying these stocks on sale is exactly what they want to do. And you should, they should all start with an amount of money that they're not afraid to lose. $100 a month, 300 whatever it is. As soon as they get that it's okay and they'll be better off when the market goes down for the long run because they're buying more shares, they're not, we've taken the fear out of it. Because they're afraid, what do you do if the market goes down? I don't want to buy if the market goes down. I'm like, oh, no, you want to buy when the market goes down. All of a sudden, when I do that in big companies, you see an extraordinary sign-up with women in their 401ks that hadn't signed up before. Mm. It's a fascinating thing. Take the fear out of something, make it regimented, absolutely do the index funds and and that's it's the winning simple. ticket. It's very mystifying. I mean, I'll be the first to say I didn't invest in my 401k until someone at work said, just do it. Just do it. If you don't like it, if it's too much money, you can always turn it off. But there's a match. And I mean, it took another woman to tell me that mm-hmm. it was a good bet. And I think that's also what needs to happen. We need other women who've been there, done that to say, girlfriend, this works. Do it. Just put your money in it. Um, because I think there's also a lack of trust as well. There's fear. There's a lack of trust. There's lack of experience. So uh, for the women out there who have the experience, who have the confidence to be the ones to mentor, I think is so, is so important. Um, to go back to what you're saying about sales, that struck me as interesting because you also have been talking about this idea of women putting themselves on sale. You bet they do. So what does that mean? You know, you see it all the time. You go in and I get a hair, like I live in Florida, uh-huh. right, as well. And you as well go, as the Bahamas. As well as the Bahamas. Okay. <laughs> and you go to these places, you're used to New York prices, all right? You go to these women who are giving you a haircut and whatever. And this one woman spent three hours with me a while ago, you know, the whole thing. And the whole bill came, the whole bill came to $135 for a color cut, blow dry. She had it then did a conditioning treatment, all the products. And I walked away with two little things. <laughs> And I looked at her and I said, are you crazy? She said, well, Susie, if I charge more, I'm afraid that the people won't use me anymore. I said, but you're not making any money. 
And so you've put yourself on sale. You are one of the best hairdressers I've seen, the best colorist. Oh, my God. You should be charging three or $400 for this, at least. And you would have paid that. I did. I gave her a tip of that. <laughs> right? but, um, and they won't do it. They're afraid to ask for what they really want. They, they put a price tag on themselves as to what they think people will pay. And you know what's interesting is during the 2007-2008 downturn, the reason that so many women all of a sudden became in the workforce is that they were willing to go and take a mm-hmm. decrease from a hundred thousand a year to thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. They were willing to give up their vacation pay. They were willing to take a cut if that meant that other women and people got to keep their job as well. The men, they would not go back to work. They were making two hundred thousand a year and they would not go back to work for an eighty thousand dollar a year job. They would call into the show and they'd go, I am waiting till I get another job. And when the wife has that job, she's now waitressing, she's all of it. But women tend to settle for less. They don't ask for what they know they're worth because they are afraid of the consequences if they speak up. They put themselves on sale. This idea of fear like keeps coming up. I mean, we keep talking about fear. I mean, how do you make someone less afraid? Fear, shame, and anger yeah. are the three internal obstacles to wealth, bar none. That is the exact three internal emotions that keep you from being more and therefore having more. And the only way to do it is by taking action. Mm-hmm. Just jump in the deep end. Mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, we are new to the territory. We're new to the career territory. We're new to the money territory. We've been home for eons, right? Like we're just hardwired. This is not second nature to us still, even after so long. And especially if you're looking at how your mother did things or how your grandmother did things or how, I mean, we, how our relationship with money today, I think women in particular is so much a reflection of how we were raised and the modeling that we had growing up. And that's just like compounded over all of these generations. And if, you know, you had a family history of women not working or women who weren't making the money, that's really hard now as a, as a professional woman who's trying to make a career for herself and make money and build wealth. That's really challenging. And I think that there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of insecurity, but there's a lot of still lack of knowledge mm-hmm. and experience that um, is going to take time. But to, to Susie's point, I think you just have to dive in and do one of these and jump in and like just, you know, know that there's 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 people there to support you. But here's the other thing that's really important. Just a little bit ago, I was in New Orleans speaking to women lawyers, mm-hmm. partners, associates, all making six figures and above, a few thousand of them. And I was so excited because I thought, finally, I'm going to speak to a group of women who are making money and they're going to be powerful with their money. And I brought a camera crew. Because I wanted to capture this on film. None of them wanted to be interviewed. None of them wanted to talk about it. They went, they came and would talk to me one-on-one, but not on camera. They didn't know where their money was invested. Da, da, da. But here's was the key. They didn't want their families to know. These were all minority women. How much money they were making because They were the only ones who went to college. They're making the money. They now have a brother, a sister. Parents are different. I always think you have to take care of your parents no matter what. But an aunt, a cousin, a this, that all wanted their money. 
Mm-hmm. And they were giving it to them. Mm-hmm. And they had very little left for themselves. So there are many personalities, very famous women who've made millions of dollars that don't have a penny to show for it today because they've given it all away. Mm-hmm. Another we have thing. to put ourselves first. It seems selfish, mm-hmm. but it is, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first and then you can take care of everybody else. And you know you what? You got that line from me, girlfriend. <laughs> I think I got it from you, American Airlines. Like, I, that's how I got the line. <laughs> well, you have a nice line that's sort of along these lines. You, you talk about in your book, break the glass ceiling, but carry a shield. Um, you say... You say, many of us are getting seriously cut on the way up as Mm -hmm. stresses between work and home life accumulate. We worry about keeping our jobs, preserving our income, and painting a happy life at home, too. It's high-stakes life, for sure. Yeah. Um, What does that mean, to carry a shield? Well, to protect yourself, you know, to take care of yourself. So many women debate over whether to get the massage or to get the nice haircut or to take a girl's weekend or to hire a cleaning person, you know, or to ask their husband or their partner to chip in and help with the childcare. Because I think that, well, for a lot of reasons, there's pressure to kind of feel like you have to have to have it all, do it all. Um, despite the fact that, you know, we are making so much progress, but I think we have a lot of antiquated views as far as what are women's roles when it comes to family and marriage. And that's a lot of pressure, especially if you were raised in a traditional household. I'm Iranian, you know, my parents, while they always said, go out there and shoot for the stars, get the raise, get the promotion, college, what about grad school? But oh, you're not going to marry up financially? Like, huh? How's that going to work? Like when you have kids and you will obviously want to take care of them for because you're the woman and you're the mom um, and you're making more like they just, you know, so I got a lot of mixed messages. I felt like I, I um, had to be my biggest advocate as a result, my biggest supporter in my financial life, in my personal life. And that's what I mean. Carry a shield. You're number one, you know, in this life. And a lot of people depend on you. Um, so it, it is it is worth it to invest in your well-being. Um, and that also means, you know, ask the really terrifying questions like, I would like to make more, you know, can I get the raise? Can I get the promotion? You know, uh, that also is uh, inhibited by our fear and security, but we just have to get on board with the fact that we are the most important people in our lives. That's great. And, and you talk a lot about saying no. Saying no out of love rather than saying yes out of fear. Yeah, because right? everybody says yes out of fear of what everybody else will think of them. Women care a lot what other people think about them. In regards to your statement about carrying a shield, mm-hmm. the, the way, so you mean it how you mean it, but how I would take that. So it's kind of interesting. Like, so how does a, another powerful woman take mm-hmm. what you've written with that? is that when you break through that glass ceiling, and I have, Mm -hmm. there are still, that you have got to carry a shield Mm -hmm. because once you've made it, you have a whole world that wants to tear you down. Yes, yes. They, you know, they love to build you up, (laughs) but they love to tear you down. I see it all the time. So you have to have, my saying is, the dogs keep walking, you know, the dogs keep walking as, you know, the elephant, the elephant keeps walking as the dogs keep barking. Mm-hmm. 
And you have to just keep doing it. But I would take your comment to be, just because you've broken through that glass ceiling, be careful. Because somebody's going to try to cut you big time. So you have to be able to like protect yourself and use that shield against all the daggers now that are going to come your way. When you haven't made it, nobody spends time shooting at you. You shoot it yourself. Mm-hmm. Once you've made it, now everybody is shooting at you because it's their victory if you fail. So you're the only one who right. can protect yourself. So that's how I interpret no, it's that true. saying and of And you yours. have to have a strict framework as to how you're going to live your life. What are your values? Saying no. I love saying no right now. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things to say. <laughs> but I feel like I've earned it. I've arrived at a place in my career and in my financial life where I you know, I, I used to say yes to everything because, and that was a strategy too in my twenties and early thirties because I wanted all the experiences. I wanted to fail and fail fast then, not now. Um, and so maybe that sometimes means FOMO, like fear of missing out on certain opportunities. But I feel like at the end of the day, I have to stick to my grounds and, you know, just put a carry that no, shield. Carry that shield. <laughs> Adam, Susie, (laughs) say no out of love for herself (laughs) versus yes out of fear of what others will think, out of loss, out of all of that. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing for a woman to do. Can you talk about a recent time maybe when you've said no? I say no all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You just said no to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I say no all the time. It's um, no, I'm not going to pay for this. No, I'm not all the time. Yep. once you have a, a significant amount of wealth and people have an idea about how much wealth you have, you'd be amazed at how many people come to you to help them. And I have another saying, which is sometimes helping is hurting mm-hmm. and hurting is helping to get people to understand, oh, they can do this on their own. So I say no constantly, Adam. Is it no because? Is it no because? No, because I don't want to. It's just <laughs> no because I don't want That's to. That's an important difference. Like, no, I don't is yeah. better than no, I can't because da, 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 da. just no, I don't do that. So um, I, this is a very small example, but, you know, I have two kids. I have responsibilities at home. I'm also, I'm usually in bed by nine o'clock. If somebody wants to get a late dinner or go to a late event for work, no, I don't do that. Because in my mind, I'm selling this just my internal dialogue because that's just how my life is right now. And that's how I know I can keep sane and I can keep functioning and I can then have the energy the next day to do what's really important. And so um, that I think for me, I feel less like I'm letting them down and myself down by just saying, no, I just I don't do that. But maybe we'll do breakfast. Mm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit more about relationships. So I think that's so much where these financial struggles come to light. Um, what's a red flag? What's, what's a red for, for a woman in a relationship when it comes to having a partner that is going to be a true partner? What what are some red flags? Um, (laughs) there's like so many of them. (laughs) The first thing is before you ever say I do, you better know your spouse-to-be, maybe, their FICO score, their credit reports. You better be looking at their financial habits. You said first FICO, then sex. Yes. And the reason that I say that, right, FICO first, then sex. Oprah loves that comment. (laughs) But um, is because of this. Once you start getting sexually involved with somebody, truthfully, you go into lust. 
It's not love. You think it's love. Love is when it gets hard and you stick through it. Lust is when everything is great and you can't wait to go home every night and crawl in bed with them and you're, you don't want to get out of bed with them. It doesn't last. Listen, it doesn't last forever like that. You're tired. You have to work. Um, no. But in the beginning of a relationship, it's like every night it's there. You're in lust and you're blind and you're not seeing all the little signals. Big tipper always has to buy shoes. Oh my God, always is buying electronic gadgets. All these things goes to the racetrack, likes to drink, like, you know, or spend money that way, likes to gamble. All of these little red flags people miss. So the biggest one really is to sit down and say, all right, let's both check our scores. Let's both show each other our credit reports. And if somebody has a bad FICO score, credit score, and a lot of late payments, I would get rid of that person so fast, I can't even tell you, unless there was a good reason why. Mm -hmm. They got sick, they were in an accident, they didn't have any insurance, their spouse, the second divorce, they were taken, but they better be willing to tell you about it. And you shouldn't even have to ask them about it. They should be telling you, sweetheart, I just want to tell you right now, I'm a total financial mess, here's the reason why. But if they don't have a good reason why, Because their mess, very shortly, is going to become your mess. And I guarantee you, financial abuse will start to happen. Mm -hmm. And there will go the relationship. Okay, so we're talking about women in relationships. And Farnoosh, what are some of the biggest red flags to look out for when you're looking for a partner who will be a true partner when it comes to finances? I think a partner who really appreciates that you, if you are career-driven, that you're career-driven, that you're, I know, not going to maybe arrive at motherhood and necessarily become the de facto stay-at-home parent. I'm hugely passionate about this because too many um, career-oriented, educated women are arriving at parenthood because it's expensive and and finding themselves um, opting out of the workforce unwillingly. Um, and I think that's a huge tragedy for a lot of reasons. And so it's important that you really find the partner who doesn't see your career as a hobby or as a short-term thing or as a, you know, as just something that you're, you're dabbling in that, um, he really supports you. And also that if you are someone who is financially independent as a young millennial woman, and we know that in a lot of metropolitan cities, areas, actually millennial women out earn millennial men. Because again, the college statistics. Um, and so dating can get tricky. Um, to a man who really appreciates that too, who's not coming over to your house and going, you live here? Or where's your roommate? Oh, you live by yourself? And making a joke about it. This has happened. Women have told me that their dates will be sarcastic or undercut their um, clear like ability to take care of themselves financially. Huge red flag. Mm. Huge red flag. Yes, I would say. Yeah, I mean, sarcasm. Sounds sarcasm is a red flag. Sarcasm is sure. a red Especially flag. Especially when it comes to your career and your finances yeah. and where you live. And yeah. It's not a funny joke. No, no. it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we don't have much time left, so maybe we should end uh, with a few action items. You know, money mm. readers love to know what to do. Um, we've already talked about a couple, one of them being, you know, just invest in an index fund, $100 to $300 every month, uh, dollar cost averaging. Um, we've talked about um, other things too, but Susie, what, what's a good sort of action item to take away from this? You know, it's so hard to just say one action item without knowing who I'm talking to yeah. or whatever, but 
the main action, really, I would say to somebody is step towards your money rather than away from it. Mm-hmm. And that, that if you really want to find the best financial advisor in the world, look in the mirror. Because nobody's going to care about your money more than you do. And what happens to your money directly affects the quality of your life, not your banker's, insurance agent's life, your financial advisor's life, but your life. And this isn't rocket science, people. Mm-hmm. Everybody can do it. Everybody should do it. And everybody who does it will be happy that they did so. I love that. Step towards your money. I mean, how do I follow that? I would just say also <laughs> find your people. Like, I, I mean, Don't do this in a silo. Don't You don't have to do it alone. And women, I think we're really great at connecting and finding that network and finding mentors and asking the questions. So continue to do that and build your team. So it's a financial advisor. It's a girlfriend who's been there, done that. It's, um, a, you know, women, workplaces now have so many organizations for their female employees for career um, coaching and financial coaching, like tap into these resources, books, podcasts, magazines. I mean, the resources are out there. We're sort of at the heyday of, I think, financial content, especially for women. I'd love to see more. Yeah. But I think that's the great opportunity now to really grab. All right. Thank well, you thank so you much, for Adam, for having us. Of course. Thank you, Susie. <laughs> Anytime, Adam. All right. Signing off. Thanks so much to Adam Ariema of Money Magazine for inviting me and Susie Orman on the show. Congrats to Susie on her latest edition of Women and Money. It's available wherever books are sold. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.